Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to Pinewood Church. My name is Parker, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today on this beautiful, beautiful Sunday. I believe that God is going to speak to you today. I believe that God has a word for you. We're going to be continuing our series called Heaven's Agenda, and we're working through the book of Philippians. I have absolutely loved this series. I've gotten so much out of this book, and I hope that you have too. The title of the message is Work in Progress. How many of you believe that we got a work in progress going on right now? And a work in progress in our country, work a progress in our city, and a work in progress in our lives. The passage we're looking at today is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, and it speaks directly to a work in progress. Speaking of work in progress, um, let's talk about my yard for a second. I love taking care of my yard. I've always enjoyed this. Even when I was a teenager, I loved taking care of my parents' yard. I took it on my own initiative to, to make sure we got all the weeds out of there and planted new grass. It was I, Something about it was just, I don't know, satisfying for me. So this year, I kicked off the year, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my yard back. And so as work in progress, as you know, I began to work on my yard. I planted some seeds. I put down some hay, and the grass began to grow. It was fantastic. I watered it. Uh, I have a weed puller. It was fantastic. It looked so good. And then a couple weeks ago, uh, my family took a trip, and we have uh, irrigation systems, so I knew that the lawn was going to get watered. And I, I thought, man, I can't wait to come back. I'm going to come back, and there's going to be so much lush grass. It's going to be nothing but green, like this high. Well, that's not exactly how I came back. I came back, and to my surprise, it was brown. It was ugly. It was, I mean, this huge patch of grass, which I say huge. I mean, our yard is maybe maybe this big, this, this huge compared to our yard. It was just brown. It was dead. And I was bummed. I'd worked hard to bring the greenness out and to, to watch the grass grow, to cultivate the lawn. How many of you know that is true in every area of our lives? The things that we leave alone, that we don't attend to, that we don't water, eventually will deteriorate, It'll rust, it'll rot, and eventually we'll die in the end. And that's why we got we to gotta look at it as more of a, a work in progress. So I came back and I came back watering that lawn again. And let me tell you, it's coming back. What I want to do is I want to take the next few minutes and I want to talk about the idea of a growth process for our lives, a spiritual growth process for our lives. What is our responsibility and what is God's work? This is a great mystery in theology and in scripture is, you know, I want to pursue spiritual growth, but what part is mine and what part is God's? And this passage in Philippians speaks directly to that. Let's read this together. It says this in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download the YouVersion app and follow along with us. It says this, therefore, dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both 
to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life that I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Would you pray with me? God, we're thankful for this passage. Uh, Thankful for everybody that's here today. I don't believe that anybody is here by accident, God. I believe that everybody is tuning in today and that you have a plan and you have a purpose for their lives. So God, right now, would you speak? through the iPhones, through the television screens, through the iPads and computers. God, would your word go forth? We know that as your word goes forth, it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent and it will have success. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to give you three questions to consider today out of this passage. The first question is, is God working in my life? I want you to go ahead and even write this down. Question to consider, is God working in my life? In verses 12 and in verses 13, there seems to be two contradictory ideas. Uh, Verse 12, you kind of have this idea of work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but yet there's a very important word that is found right in the middle here. And that word is for. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So which is it? Is it you working out your own salvation or is it God working out in you? Let's talk about it. What Paul is saying is that you are to work out what God has already worked in. We see this all over Philippians. Really, we see this illustrated and demonstrated all over the entire New Testament that we work from God's work not for it. We work from God's saving grace, not for his saving grace in our lives. It's not salvation by works. It's salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus that you are saved. But this passage speaks to both the humanity and our responsibility as humanity, and it speaks about God's sovereignty. I just threw out a really big word right there, sovereignty. What is that word sovereignty? The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is that there is nothing in the universe outside of his influence, power, or authority. That God is in complete control. He's the creator. He's the designer. And he has his hands and influence and impact in every detail of humanity around us. That is the sovereignty of God. We see in Colossians 1.16, it says, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh Lord, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. In Psalms 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God is in control. And I think in this season, especially, I think that is good news for everybody. Aren't you grateful that you're not in control? 
Aren't you grateful that I'm not in control? Can I get an amen out there? Amen. Trust me. You do not want me in control. But God is in control. A good father, a loving father. Paul is echoing what was also taught in the book of James. And that is for us to see the importance that even though we're working out our salvation, uh, that we are to seek God's sovereignty first. In James chapter 4.13, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city. I love that the Bible says that, to such and such a city. And spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Proverbs 69 says, a man, a person, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. So what are we talking about in this passage? You're supposed to work out your own salvation, but it is God who is both willing and working out for his good pleasure in your life. What we're talking about here is, is with every action you take, every affection that you have, every decision that you make, with every step that you make, you acknowledge, you submit to, and you agree with the sovereignty, the authority, the influence of God in and through your life. This is very important theological and foundational truth. The reason is, is because if you read this passage the wrong way and you read it as though you're working for salvation, then you're going to get all the scripture twisted and think that you're actually the one that is changing and transforming and saving your life. But we actually do have a responsibility. So what is our responsibility? I want to uh, encourage you in a spiritual workout. It says to work out your own salvation. I want to I give you a spiritual workout plan. I recently joined a gym. I'm, I've been a part of a gym, but with COVID, it's been interesting uh, staying a part of a gym. Uh, but a gym opened up in town to where we could go in, social distance, wear masks, and get a workout in, which means a lot. I, 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 my word for this year is health. And so I definitely want to make sure I get my workout in. And, and we've been going in, getting a, I've been going in, getting a workout in. Let's be honest. There's just some days you don't want to work out. I pulled in this last week and it was late. And I, I was thinking to myself, I just might not work out today. I'm, I kind of just want to sit in the car and like watch a sermon or like read or something like that. Like, and, and you're not, you can't judge me right now because you've done it too, where you're like, no, I'm not going to work out. I think I'm just going to get McDonald's. Well, <laughs> look, some of you right now are straight guilty. Milkshake. You're like, I'm milkshaking it today. I didn't want to work out, but then I went in and I worked out. I worked out really hard. Obviously, I sauntered because that's just, you do that. And I felt amazing after. And the same is true in our spiritual discipline. 
is that just sometimes you don't want to do it, that we have a responsibility though. And if we neglect it, we're never going to truly live a healthy life. The same is true for our spiritual walk. If we neglect these wor- this workout plan, we're never going to truly have a healthy and a growing spiritual life. So this is the workout plan. There are three basic principles in strength training. I've actually, let's just say this. I've narrowed it down to three because it really helped with my illustration. But you'll, you love me and you understand, but there really are three. And the, one, the first is the press. So go ahead, write down, put in the comments, say press. You know, the, the press, the bench press. And the first thing is the press, and that is to press into prayer. To lean into a conversation with God. This is a spiritual discipline. This is a workout plan for your life. To wake up and to seek God's face. I will seek you in the morning when I rise up. See God's face first thing in the morning. Pray without ceasing. What does that mean? It means that you're just praying all the time. Having a conversation with somebody nonstop. Jesus isn't the type of God that you got to come to with the perfect poetic prayer. You don't have to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You come to Jesus in the shower. You come to Jesus brushing your teeth. God can hear your thoughts. He can hear your words to press in to have a conversation with God. Why? Because the Christian faith is not about a religion and do's and don't. It's about a personal relationship with a holy God. Amen. So first practice, the first discipline Let's talk strength training is to do the press into prayer. Second, we want to pull out what God is wanting to teach you in his word. So pull out scripture. I want you to think about this as you're working out. When you're bench pressing, I just want you to be praying like, God, help for me to get this off my chest. And as you're pulling, say, God, a greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. Like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like be pulling back and thinking about these principles. Press into prayer Pull in to God's word, read his truth in your life, memorize his word. I've been convicted of this recently, especially in this season, the importance of scripture memory to hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. There's, a, there's tons of scripture memory plans that you can memorize. Topical memory system is one of my favorite. Look it up. Number three. Now this is the hardest strength training principle at all. And I am 100% guilty of not doing this one. Can you, can you go ahead, throw it on the chats right now? Like, what is this? What is this third workout that nobody likes to do? Leg day. Nobody likes leg day. But leg day is such an important workout. I remember going in with a good friend of mine and doing a workout. And uh, I mean, let's be honest, like I'm not exactly hitting up leg day on the regular. But he was telling me, he's like, bro, you, you can't neglect leg day. Leg day makes all of the other workouts make sense. It accelerates all the other workout. If you want to get big and strong, you got to do leg day. Everybody in here that's a coach or Testing and testifying right now. They're saying, preach, preacher. You got to do leg day. Leg day is our obedience. And how many of you know, some of you are skipping leg day as it relates to you praying, to you reading God's scripture, but to you actually applying God's word in your life. 
What does he say in the beginning there? I'm so glad that you're obeying, you know, not only just in my presence, but in my absence. This is an important principle that even Paul was talking about with the church in Philippi. He's saying, thank you for being obedient. Why? Because obedience is the most important part. You can't skip obedience. You can pray, you can read, but if that's all you're doing, you're becoming extremely religious and not very effective, not very loving, and you're not growing. Don't skip leg day. I was thinking about this too, as far as just the the idea of working out your salvation. The reality is if you're a follower of Jesus, you're already a member of the gym. Shoot, you're an owner of the gym. You're a citizen of heaven. But you got to put these disciplines in your life to actually work it out. Paul is speaking of a, a deep theological term uh, that I don't, have, I don't have the time to fully unpack, but it's this uh, term known as sanctification. Sanctification is a theological term that means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from sin towards righteousness. Sanctification is not moral modification. Uh, Sanctification is not you trying to be a better person on the outside so that you can impress God and work out your own salvation from the outside out. That's not, that's moral modification. No, sanctification is a heart transformation that happens from the inside out, that God is ripping you apart. He's creating the great divide between your sin and his righteousness and his holiness and his perfection. You're being sanctified. You're being set apart from sin, set apart from the world. How, how are people going to know that you are a follower of Jesus if you're not working out your salvation, if you're not being sanctified and being set apart from sin in the world? How would they even know you're a follower of Jesus unless you told them? This idea of sanctification is extremely important in our lives. We're a work in progress. We're being sanctified. How many of you know that you might not be who you ought to be, but are you grateful today that you're not who you used to be? Why? Because when you said yes to Jesus, you were justified. You were claimed just and righteous before a holy God, and you were sanctified. You were set apart because the Holy Spirit is now inside of you, and you are being set apart as you continually grow and strengthen your faith and as you work out your faith. Number two, and this is verses 14 and 15. The second question to consider is this, is Jesus shining through my life? Verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Uh, Growing up, my parents taught me a song. And I think it may be because as a child, maybe I griped and complained a little bit, but it goes, do everything without complaining, do everything without arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. So, you know, if you want to practice that one, I think it would be good, especially in our season, uh, to get this song and to get this scripture stuck in our heads. This season has been incredibly challenging for me included and everyone that I know to not find something to gripe, to complain about, 
and to argue about. I mean, have you been on social media in the last four months? It is a dumpster fire, man. Everybody's so mad. Everybody's so critical. Everybody's griping and complaining. Everybody's arguing. And it's a challenge. And I'm, I'm finding that I'm getting sucked into it as well. And we talked a lot about this last weekend, about having the right attitude. But he brings it back up again right here. And I think it's important for us to consider what he might be trying to teach us in light of being a light. You see, the absence of complaining and arguing is a testimony to the hope and the trust that we have in Jesus. Jesus is the light. Now I know we, we live in Boulder, our church is in Boulder. And I know that when you talk about the light, people can be talking about a lot of different things. But we're talking specifically about the light that is Jesus. We see in Matthew 14, 4, 16, it says, the light has come. The people who live in the darkness have seen a great light. For those that were living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So, the, so we see that the light had come. But then after the light had come, we see that Jesus declares that he is the light. In John 8, 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But then he takes it one step further. And this is for those of you that are followers of Jesus who, who've received Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in your life. Jesus takes it one step further and he actually says that you are the light. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights up a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your what? Your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Your good works. When you grumble, when you complain, when you argue and cause division, you are covering up your light. I love Pastor Tony Marita. He said, Paul wants the church to be a proclaiming church, not a complaining church. We all have something to complain about. We all have something we can be critical about. Paul is urging the church that if you want to be an effective gospel witness, if you want to shine like a star, you are a star. If you want to shine like a star, stop the complaining and stop the arguing. So I want to make it real practical for you. Are you a complainer? Have you found yourself in this season wanting to complain about everything? Complain about the masks? Guilty? Complain about the situation that we're in economically? Complain about the people, complain about your roommates, complain about your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, complain about just this, how did I end up here? And you're just complaining, complaining. Have you found yourself in this season? Have you found yourself very argumentative? Arguing in your marriage, arguing with different church members. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, I like that, but not that. Well, that's still complaining. I'm still having an argumentative spirit. If so, this is a part of the sanctification process. And it says that you can actually be blameless and pure, faultless in a crooked generation. It feels like we're reading that like right now. 
It feels like that this is real time. Even though this is written to the church of Philippi several thousand years ago, this, this could be like right now. But it says that even in a crooked and perverse generation, it says that you can shine like a star. How many of you want to shine like a star in this season? Or would you rather get lost in the dark? So hold firm to the word of life. When God is working in you, the first question was, is God working in you? And I want to tell you that I believe that he is. And so when God is working in you, there should be a light shining through you. I love um, a mentor of mine. Anytime that I would ever say anything good about him or anytime that ever I would say like, man, I just, I love this about you. Uh, maybe how vulnerable you get or the, the wisdom you speak over my life. He would always say, no, he said, any good you see in me is Jesus. There is nothing good in, in me, but any good you see is Jesus. I think that's the truth and the reality for all of us that are followers of Jesus. That when God is working in your life and that you are shining the light of Jesus and people say, there's just something different about you. I don't know what it is. You have joy. And like, as, as this passage says, instead of grumbling and griping and complaining and arguing, instead you're like building community. You're, you're encouraging people. There's just something about you. You get an opportunity to be a witness and you get to say, that's not me. Because if it was me, I would not be that. It's Jesus' work in me and through me. The last question is this, and I'm closing with this. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? You see, it talks about working out your own salvation. This is speaking specifically to the church at Philippi, believers. And so these first two questions are focused on those that are already followers of Jesus. But this last question is directed to you who are watching that has not made Jesus, made Jesus Lord of your life. You've heard about Jesus. Uh, maybe you've been watching this broadcast for the last couple months. And every time we've given the invitation, you've said, ah, just not ready this Sunday. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? God loves you so much. And like I said in the beginning, I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I think the greatest decision that you will make in your lifetime is to say yes to a God who loves you, who sent his one and only son to die for you, to stand in the gap. You, me, humanity, we're, we're all sinners. We have all sinned against God. And the scripture says that that sin equals death. But God sent his son to take the penalty of death on our behalf on a cross. And in that moment, the weight of the world, the sin of the world laid on his shoulders on the cross. And in that moment, when he died, he said, it is finished. And right then and there, all of your sin in a moment penalty was paid. But aren't you grateful today that on the third day, he rose victorious from the grave and he's alive today, seated at the right hand of the father in heaven. And he's calling you to come. He said, today is the day of salvation. And he says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's an invitation. Earlier, I said that it's grace through faith, that you don't actually work for your salvation. 
you only receive it. And in Philippians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. It actually goes on to say that this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that nobody can boast. So you can't say, look what I did to get saved. No, 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 no. You only receive it. When somebody wants to give you a gift, do you have to earn it? No, you only receive it. And God is offering you his free gift of salvation today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. From wherever you are, pray this prayer out loud. Say this. Say, Jesus, I acknowledge that I do need you. I confess that I have sinned against you. But right now, by faith, I say Jesus is Lord of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. By your grace, I am saved. And by your power, I am set free. And if you pray that prayer today, I want to say welcome to the family. Welcome to the family of God. We're so glad that you made that decision. I know that the heavens rejoice and everyone here at Pinewood Church are rejoicing with you. This is the start of a new adventure, a new journey of faith. And we want to meet you right where you are. If you would, head over to pinewood.church. It's our website, and you can see on the top right there, a Connect tab. Click that tab. Let us know who you are. Our mission at Pinewood is to meet people where they are and appoint them to Jesus. So on this point of your faith journey, we want to meet you right where you are, and we want to come alongside you as a faith community, and we want to point you to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for everyone who said yes to you today. Thank you so much for your word, for your sovereignty, that you're in full control and Father, thank you so much that we don't have to try to become better on our own, but we have the Holy Spirit to change and transform our lives from the inside out. So thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.